we dialogue and discern together what your Spirit would say to us about our relationship with you and the relationship that that translates into into our world. Bless this time for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. For some strange reason, and I'm not sure exactly why, my mind this week, as I've looked at these lessons, has been drawn to a scene, and I think it's actually from the outtakes on the DVD of the Jim Carrey uh, starring and Ron Howard produced movie, The Grinch. You've seen The Grinch, right? Anyone have seen The Grinch? Okay. There's this scene, in the, I think it's in the outtakes, where Jim Carrey is making light of Ron Howard, the director, and he's talking, he's interacting with Max the dog, right? You remember Max, who would be the reindeer, right? And he looks at Max, and he takes this cap that is famous Ron Howard cap, and he puts it on Max, and he says, and what is your motivation? And Max just sits there. And the Grinch says, brilliant, you know, apathy, you know, something like that. What is your motivation? I've looked at these lessons this week with that question in mind regarding some of the principal characters that we find in the readings. And this morning I may come off doing something that possibly no other preacher in the lectionary cycle on this day will be doing, and that's defending Jezebel. All right? Now, you remember Father Charles last week alluded to Jezebel, so we know a little bit about this character who is in the Old Testament story. But she's just one of a list of characters. Who do we first encounter? Ahab. Ahab is who? He's the king. All right? And he has his eyes on a piece of property that is adjacent to the palace owned by a man named Naboth. What do we know about Naboth? Okay, the property had been in his family for years. He's a a Jezreelite. He uh, has this piece of property, and it, it functions as a vineyard. And apparently, it's a piece of property that is near and dear to Naboth's heart. Ahab, to his credit, looks at this piece of property, and he, he wants this piece of property. He desires this piece of property, but he's not looking, at least initially, to take it by force or to, to be unfair to Naboth in any way. What does he offer to Naboth? Another piece of property that will be an even better vineyard, right? Or, if you would rather, I'll buy it from you at a, at a fair price. Naboth declines. Why? Okay? It's been in his family forever. It is a, it is a part of his inheritance in that culture. The inheritance was important. It's not only a tie to generations past and a link to his and his family's inheritance in the promised land, it is something of his legacy. He wants to pass this on to his children, who will pass it on to their children, and this will be a part of his ongoing legacy. 
His name will live on in Israel. Associated with this property. Okay? So Naboth's motivation for preserving this piece of property is what? Tradition could be. Posterity. He doesn't want to. Okay. Hey, I'm not going to give it to you because I just don't feel like it. All right? Okay. And Ahab's motivation could be greed. You know, I want a closer supermarket. You know, I want to grow the garden right next door instead of wherever it is that it comes from. Prestige. He's the king, right? The king always gets what the king wants. You would think. That's one of the perks that goes along with the job. Ahab comes home. He's discouraged. He's depressed. He goes to bed and instead of kissing his wife goodnight, he turns over to the other side. Looks the other way. And Jezebel asks what? What's wrong? What's the matter? You know, sweetheart, you know, this isn't like you. And he whines. <laughs> right? Well, you know, I wanted this piece of property and, and Naboth. I even gave him a fair deal. I was going to give him money for it and he wouldn't take money. He wouldn't take a trade. He wouldn't take, you know, I, I wanted that property. And what does Jezebel say? could be interpreted in a lot of ways. But she says, basically, aren't you still the king? Can't you get whatever you want? Stop starving yourself. Stop pouting. I'll get it for you. Okay? What is Jezebel's motivation? Pardon? Pardon? For him to be happy, okay? Let's give Jezebel the benefit of the doubt. Despite the way that she is often seen and characterized, you know, the terror that she has seen, think about, you know, here's a woman. Let's, let's, let's say that she really does love her husband, Ahab. She cares about him deeply. Is there any greater motivation when you love someone then the fact you, you love them and there is something they desire, what makes you happy? To make them happy, right? When my kids, I, I love giving my kids things at Christmas time that they, they want, they, they, they desire, but it's a little bit out of their reach. You know, and for that to be unexpected, they get something that's, that they didn't expect. You know, the lights go on, the smiles are, are, are you know, a thousand watt smiles, and it just makes my heart glow. We love to give good gifts to the people that we love, right? So here's Jezebel, possibly, give her the benefit of the doubt. She sees the man she loves, depressed. I want to I help make him happy. I want to cheer him up. Because seeing him happy makes me happy. But that's when things go wrong. She decides 
that his happiness is what matters most, and she's willing to do whatever it takes to secure the object of his desire that will make him happy. So what's the end result? For Naboth, his motivation was to preserve this property in his family name, pass it on. How did that work out for Naboth? Okay, Naboth gets falsely accused, taken outside of the city, stoned, and he loses the property anyway. Ahab, the thing that strikes me about Ahab and in this story, when God renders judgment on the situation, where does God, through Elijah, render the judgment? It's not at Jezebel. It's at Ahab. What did Ahab do? Is he the one who's personally responsible for Naboth's death? Indirectly. Pardon? He wanted something that wasn't his. And in a way that is very devious, he knew and quite possibly took advantage of the love of his wife for him, and he manipulated her into doing what he could not or did not want to do himself so that his hands would be technically clean. But God looked beyond all of that and knew exactly where the fault lied and rendered his judgment through Elijah on Ahab. Now, we could talk about the rest of the story and the judgment that ultimately falls on Jezebel as well. But what I'm getting at this morning is the fact that our motives can be quite confusing and complicated. In Jezebel's place, she could easily have rationalized, my first obligation is to my husband, to his happiness, and I'm going to do this for the man that I love. For Ahab, or for uh, uh, Nahab, Naboth, excuse me, I get all these names mixed up. (laughs) For Naboth, he's doing what he's doing to preserve this property for his his ancestors, or for his, his descendants. And that is lost. For Ahab, he just wants what he wants. And what ultimately happens to him? He ends up just as dead as Naboth. Motives can be very confusing. Switch now to the account of the gospel for this morning and look at motives again. Another woman is key in this story. This woman comes to the home of a Pharisee where Jesus is dining. And what does she do? She washes Jesus' feet with her tears, dries his feet with her hair, anoints his feet with ointment. And what judgment is made of this woman by the owner of the home? It's wasted. You know, why, why is she doing this? Now, first it's noted that, that the Pharisee whose home Jesus is dining in doesn't first judge the woman, 
the Pharisee judges Jesus. Now, there's nothing to indicate in the story that Jesus had any prior relationship with this woman. There's nothing in the story that indicates this woman said a, a thing to anyone as she entered the home. Apparently, she's known by the Pharisee, and maybe that suggests he had a relationship with this woman. And the Pharisee knew that Jesus should know who this woman is and what she is worthy of. She's a sinner. She's not worthy of the kind of attention that she is gaining. What's the Pharisee's motivation? What's the Pharisee's motivation for inviting Jesus into his home? Possibly to discredit Jesus if he's one of those who are skeptical about Jesus. What other motivation could there have been? Okay, people could look at him, he could brag. If Jesus is getting the kind of notoriety that apparently Jesus is getting... The Pharisee could be saying, well, I'm going to invite this important figure in the public eye into my home. And by having him in my home, that elevates me in the eyes of those who hold this man in high regard. So this man's motivation is obviously a selfish kind of motivation. The woman, on the other hand, what is her motive? To honor Jesus? What, what expectation does she have? Apparently none. She doesn't say anything to Jesus. She doesn't say anything to anyone else. She just pours out her love on Jesus. And without any apparent expectation on the part of this woman, what does she receive? Forgiveness? Did she ask for forgiveness? No. Did she ask to be blessed by Jesus? No. She was simply there pouring out her love, expressing herself in the best way she knew how, emptying herself of herself and what mattered to her, honoring Jesus And in honoring Jesus, trusting that however Jesus would respond to that honoring, it would be the right thing. Selfless acts without expectation. Apparently, a pure motive. From a heart that understood who she was, understood at some level who Jesus was, and simply wanted to be in his presence. Do you see the difference in the motivations throughout this story? Now let me ask you. From week to week, most of you gather in this place. Some of you have your seat marked. (laughs) Not physically, but mentally and emotionally. You have a connection to the seat where you sit. And you know who is here and who is not here because you see the same people every week right? Some of you come to me and you say, you know, so-and-so wasn't here this week. How do you know that? Because they weren't in their seat. (laughs) Why do you come to this place 
week after week. Why do you sit where you sit every week? Why do you go through the motions of this exercise of worship every week? Why? What is your motivation? Anyone brave enough to answer? Pardon? To be refilled? Nourished? Christian? Part of being a community. Okay? Yes? I always feel better when you leave than when you came. That's good. Cheryl? Renew our vows, the baptismal covenant. Yes. D? Pardon? Keeping tabs on each other. Okay, that's important. Dave? Come to see. <laughs> all right, let's be honest. How many of you come to see Vic? Okay, all right. Okay. The rest of you who come, yeah. No. Both of you, uh, no. We come for a variety of reasons. There are some people here who you come in some ways because you relate to Naboth. You were here when this building was built. I had the chance this week to to sit in the hospital waiting room with Kendra and Chris Shanley as Kelly was going through her surgery. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that a bit later on during the prayers. But I remember them sitting there talking about this place and and how much this place meant to them. And they were telling stories about the organ as it was being built. And and Kendra was talking about as a very small child scurrying up into the, the scaffolding and setting the pipes in the organ. In some ways, they have a stake in this place that is very much like Naboth. This is the place of my inheritance. It's, it's where I've been spiritually connected for all of my life, and it's where I plan to stay connected and where I want to pass that on to my children when that time comes. And Kendra is hoping it's after Chris, you know. Some of us come to this place without that kind of a historical connection. But we have connections with other people. And we come because we do want to keep tabs on so-and-so or, or we want to be seen and we want to have a place where we belong. Some may be coming just because, hey, I like this beautiful place and it's a cool place to hang out and I want people to think that I'm spiritual and somewhat progressive. Whatever motivation. It can be complicated. But when our motivation is tied to any other person or this place, just as we've seen with Naboth and with Ahab and with Jezebel, those motivations misplaced can have consequences that are not what we intend. And try to hold on to the tradition, try to hold on to that which was important to us as we were growing up, or try to pass on what we've been given. 
and fight with those who will fight alongside of us to preserve the things that we want to preserve or fight with those who will fight with us to change the things that we want to change. All of those things lead ultimately not to what we hope for our motivation is misplaced. But when our motivation is simply to be in a place where we know when we gather in the name of Jesus, the Spirit is here. And I can be real before a God who knows me anyway and say, whatever you would do with me, I, I, I just I know who I am in your sight. I know what I deserve, and it's not to be in your presence. But I'm here in this place to offer you what I have to offer and trust that whatever you want to do with what I have to offer is for my ultimate good and for the good of those around me. I just want to be in your presence. When we come with that kind of motivation to this place, that's when we receive what we don't expect kind of forgiveness that Jesus gave to the woman, the unexpected hope that she didn't expect to receive, that will ultimately be the measure of whether our presence here in this place has any meaning. What is your motivation for being here today? As we spend a moment in quiet at the close of this time, I invite you to invite the Spirit to search your heart for your motives. Why is it that you're here? Do I really know who I am in the presence of God? Am I willing for God to know me and for me to know that God knows me and to trust that God with whatever God wants to do with this life of mine? If that is your motivation, I guarantee you today, you will find a God who loves you and who is more willing to forgive than you are desirous of that forgiveness. Can we be that way to one another and together in this place? Just simply be the people of God, trusting God with what has been entrusted to us and watch His love grow. As we do so, His kingdom will be built and we'll be blessed beyond measure to the glory of God, in Jesus' name.